You're listening to episode 112 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yen Cheng. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Cheng, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. What's up, storytellers? I would love to kick off today's episode by thanking our listeners for taking the time to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and for also leaving a rating and a review. Karis Rogerson recently rated our show five stars and left a very thoughtful review, titling it, This show and its community give me heart eyes. Karis continued to write, Okay, first of all, Yin is an amazing host and I love listening in on her convos with authors because she's so excited about them and their work and that's inspiring. She loves what she does and there's nothing better, honestly. The authors who come on are incredible, so hope-giving and encouraging and the community built around the show. I can't speak highly enough of the people on Facebook who are a part of it. This show is so amazing. Karis, you are so sweet. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to leave your awesome review. And thank you for being such a loyal, long-time listener. I love how active you are in our private Facebook group, and I wish you a super productive week. For those of you curious about the private Facebook group that we're talking about, come join us over at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. Our community is incredible. The storytellers in our group are so loving and supportive of each other, and we love to welcome you into our conversations that happen on the daily. Also, for those participating in NaNoWriMo, today is the very last day of the 30-day challenge. I am so proud of all of you for pushing through. And a friendly reminder for those who might need it, progress is still progress, and you have way more material to work with now than you did 30 days ago. I am so excited for you all to continue with your writing and revision process come December. I encourage you to head over to our Facebook group to celebrate with your fellow nano participants at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. I've personally been using the NaNoWriMo challenge to push myself into getting our 88 cups of tea shop up and running, along with developing and creating heart-driven content. I shared a sneak peek and early access to our shop exclusive to our private Facebook group members. If you want early access and would love to support our show, you can find the link in our group. Now on to today's guest, we have Rebecca Green, an incredibly talented illustrator, painter, and is also the picture book author of How to Make Friends with a Ghost. In this episode, Rebecca walks us through what a dummy book is and how it fits into the picture book creation process. We also talk about how an agent can help manage and protect your creative time and why it's crucial to surround yourself with a strong and creative publishing team. Rebecca also shares the different mediums she uses to create her illustrations, why it's so important to be realistic about your workload and learning how to say no, and we discuss ways to stay inspired as an artist, a writer, and a creative. Now let's jump right in. Hey everyone, we have Rebecca Green with us today. Rebecca, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited about this podcast and chatting. So excited to have you on the show because a lot of our listeners are also writers. They all love to read. I realized that I really love picture books because I feel so accomplished that I could read them quickly. (laughs) And also, they're just always so heartwarming. I have to say, your book that you have, that's your debut picture book. It's How to Make Friends with a Ghost. Yes. I love your book. Oh, thank you. I'm not going to give it away, but I, I did not expect the ending. The last part of your book, I did not see coming. That added a whole other level of depth and it got me teary eyed. I just had to share that with you publicly and let you know that it really touched me. Listeners, make sure to grab yourself a copy. This is something not just for children, but absolutely for adults and is also a great coffee table book when you have friends coming over, if you're even grabbing a glass of wine together at each other's homes. This is a super cute book to have. I love it so much. So I just had to start off with that. Oh, thank you. Becca, I would love to know, of course, you are absolutely talented. That goes without saying. And also your Instagram account is killing it. You are a master and you're so skilled at your art and truly so talented. So I'd love for listeners to get to know you a little bit more. Why don't we start off with how you first fell in love with illustrating or writing? This is my debut book, like you said. So writing for me is something that is very new. I feel I'm an artist who tells stories rather than a writer. I started in college in graphic design because I felt maybe illustrating wouldn't be super lucrative and ended up 
all of my designs were just paintings. And I realized that, you know, maybe I should go into illustration. All of my work has always been narrative, whether that story is clear or open for interpretation. A lot of times, even when I'm telling a story visually, it's open ended in my mind too. So I love narrative work. I've been illustrating for about seven years. I've run the gamut, done editorial, and I've done gallery work. I haven't really done adult books, but the picture books and middle grades that I've done have been sort of in the last couple of years. I feel very thankful and lucky that I ended up there. It took me a roundabout way to do it. But now that I'm doing books, I feel like I'm home. I mean, it's absolutely what I love to be doing. And then this picture books happened out of the blue. I didn't do the traditional submissions to editors and try to get it published as a picture book. And we can talk more about that process. So for me, I didn't ever think about writing a book. And now that I'm thinking about writing more, it's actually pretty daunting to me to think about Now there's this added pressure to writing where it used to be just would do it for myself here and there, write little poems and kind of connect those to visual pieces. So as far as writing goes, that's where I am. I'm terrified of it. It's very shocking to hear because reading your book, How to Make Friends with a Ghost, you are so strong with your writing as you are with your illustration. I'm surprised to hear that. It's such a team. They made me feel like an author when I felt like I don't really picture myself as an author. So it feels very strange. I'm glad that it came across that way. I think that's in part to the team that you work with in a publishing house. Not only are you incredibly talented, but also you have a wonderful team. Because when I was reading through this, I didn't realize it was your debut until I did some research. I read in your bio that it was your debut. And I was like, what? Are you joking me? You set the bar high. I had fun. That was the most important part. Fearlessly fun for me. I think that's the thing with art, right? If you're really passionate about something and you really enjoy the process, we are going to see it. It's going to absolutely infuse and dissipate over to us. And it's going to spread over to us. Aside from the tearing up towards the end, I couldn't stop smiling and laughing. And also you're a pun master. My girlfriend, she's all about pun jokes and she's the pun queen. She was riffing off with puns just now. And she's like, I can go on forever. I'm like, I don't get it. What does that have to do with anything? She's like, well, we're talking about food. So, you know, like the Vietnamese pho, pho forever. I told her, oh my gosh, you would love Rebecca because her puns are amazing. What were some of them? It was like fear-free shampoo, like it's a shampoo. One of my favorite ones was your salad. Instead of croutons, it was boutons. I busted out laughing so loud. It was so good. Tying it back to when you first started drawing, do your parents have any artistic sides to them? I would say that it's definitely not something that is in my family, although there are little traces of... I see now that I'm older, I think about different things as far as being good with detail or presentation or elements, but nothing overall. My aunt, she's my mom's twin, my second mother. So maybe I gleaned something from her, from those genes. Incredible with presentation and detail and caring for detail. I love detail. So I feel like I got that from her and learned some of that from her. And then my dad, he restores antique cars. He's a painter and runs his own business doing antique restoration. I never thought I had anything in common with him because I hate cars. And now that I'm older, I'm seeing the way that I am a business owner, even though I don't think of myself as a business, I'm a freelancer. And so I've gotten to see that maybe I did get some of those things from them. Attention to detail and being able to, you know, work for yourself, things like that. But no, nobody's a traditional artist. I've been really involved in art my whole life. I was encouraged, but I don't know if anybody in my family thought that it was a very serious career choice. Nobody in my family has gone to college. So I was the first to go. And that was kind of a big deal to my mom. And she was really confused that I was going to go into art and not be a nurse or something like that. Now she's my biggest fan and she's very proud and I love her and she's very supportive. I was just going to ask, how are they feeling about it now? They are really sweet and really proud. I think that's normal coming from maybe their background. They didn't really was realistic to have a career in art or what that would look like. I absolutely understand. That's the same with my family and my parents. And I think especially anything with art, especially if it's performance art. Your parents must be proud now. You know, when you prove them wrong. I'm so thrilled to hear that your whole family, they're so on board and they're so supportive right now. And I think that's what matters most. It sounds like you got a balance between business entrepreneurship. Like you said, it's more freelancing. I think absolutely that is your own business. You have to push and you have to market yourself too. And you got to be really clever about all of that, especially now when there's such a saturated market. That's awesome to hear that you have both talent and also business sense. That's so necessary. I think I have enough. I will say that I've just had to learn it. I've had to figure out how to do my taxes and how to 
send invoices. Yeah. I didn't really learn any of that in school, which is pretty frustrating to go into a, to a program, which is a commercial art. I mean, illustrations. Yes, yes. <laughs> And I feel like I graduated without much direction in that. So that has been me sort of accumulating that knowledge. And, and now I'm starting to put it into use. But I feel like what I got from my dad was that entrepreneurial spirit and yes. the attention and the capability of managing those things by yourself. But the detail parts of those things, how to fill out this form or this form for this tax in this quarter. I mean, that eludes me. I'm just hearing those words and I'm sweating here. I'm taxes. And I'm like, did I pay this year's tax? Okay, good. Yes, I did. I always think, oh, this year's I'm gonna get really good at it. This year is gonna be the year that I like tackle all my business stuff and then art gets in the way. That's amazing just to hear like you got your dad's spirit of not only a go-getter, it sounds like, but also about attention to detail and having that spirit of getting things done. I would love to jump into your book, How to Make Friends with yeah. the Ghost. Readers may not know this, but I kind of had to just show off. I noticed that your main character's name is Bellis because yes. I noticed it was in a little name tag for work. Uh-huh. So is. I just had to say, <laughs> I found it. And I was like, oh my God, I wonder how many people notice this. This is awesome. I love the name Bellis. I want to know what was the inspiration for Bellis and her adorable look. It's funny that you caught that. I didn't have it anywhere else. Victory. <laughs> so Bellis is part of the scientific for daisies. I actually don't really love daisies, but I was just working in my sketchbook and there was a prompt that said to draw daisies. So I looked up the scientific name and the history of them stuff like that because that's more interesting to me than just drawing a flower I was working on the book simultaneously and it just fit I didn't start this character with a name at all she was just a girl and there was a ghost the ghost doesn't have a name I just love that name so much and so I decided to give it to her that's why when she grows up later she's a florist so it's a little oh wow that's really, really cool behind the scenes tips. To that, which is funny, I didn't even think about this. My publicist, Sylvia, we were going back and forth in email and she asked where it came from. And I told her that it was the name for daisies. And she goes, oh, that's so funny. Pushing up daisies. Oh, which it wasn't. But she's pun master too, apparently, because she made up a pun about it. And I didn't even get it. So there's just a lot of layers to it. I love that. As far as her character goes, she's not based on anybody. She went through a lot of versions. She always had dark hair and she started out with shorter hair and then basically working. I wasn't using anybody as inspiration. I don't know where she came out of. You have amazing imagination. When you mentioned that the ghost doesn't have a name, when Mm -hmm. I saw Bellis's name tag, I was like, I wonder if... Rebecca <laughs> hid the ghost's name somewhere else. And then I was looking everywhere. I went back through all the pages oh, and oh. I was like, no, it doesn't have a name. Supposed to be non-gender specific. I do love that. And I think especially right now at this time when people are more aware, it's perfect. I would love to bring us back to step one of your story process. I know you mentioned that it was a bit of an interesting process. Could you please share behind the scenes of how this came to life? I should say, like, I still don't know to this day what that A to Z process would be. I mean, I have a vague (laughs) idea. So we'll see where this fits in. I'll just jump into how it started. The idea for it came out of nowhere. I was walking my dog and I was supposed to do an editorial piece for a magazine about fall. I was thinking about maybe a little girl with a bunch of animals and she's seen by fire and maybe she would be giving them cider or they'd be hanging out. Honestly, it was kind of bored at the time. I was doing a lot of girls and animals and it just felt it was missing something. So I thought, well, maybe she'll be giving this cider to a ghost. And then I thought, well, what would she be reading to him? And then I realized that would a ghost drink cider, even like read to a ghost? And then what would you feed it? And then, oh my God, I bet it's this. And then, oh my God, if she brought it into her house, how would she take care of it? And thought there needs to be some sort of guide to taking care of a ghost and becoming friends with one. So I I literally ran into my house and sat down at my kitchen table and just frantically wrote for eight hours. Wow. Screw my taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about the government. (laughs) I gotta make this art. I just dove in and couldn't get enough of it, which is rare. And so I took advantage of it and I came up with this story. It had three basic parts to it. The skeleton is still the same. And my husband came home. He's an English teacher. He teaches high school. He gives incredible feedback, which is sometimes hard to hear, but always really worthwhile. And he was talking to me about the book and how to organize. And at that time, it didn't really have the ending, which I don't want to give it away totally. But I mean, we can. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I thought about that ending. And then I thought, no, this is just a fun project for me. At that point, I wasn't even thinking about 
it being an actual book. I just planned on, you know, throwing up some images on my website and maybe printing out a couple copies. I was researching, what's a zine? What are these things these kids are making? These are zines. I was like looking up, how do I print whatever? I'll just make this a little story. When he came home and he was talking to me about it, he basically was like, you have to make people feel something. If you're going to spend this much time on it, it can't just be this fluff thing. And you should really think about what happens to this character as she ages. And so we worked up with that. And he really pushed me to push the story and really invest a lot of time into flushing the entire story out. From there, I organized it into, like I said, it was a beginning, it started out with a poem, but the beginning three sections, and then there was a little poem at the end, which those have remained intact in this book. I printed 125 copies and just sold those to my website. I put it up online and I got a phone call from Tara, who's the editor at Tundra, and she was on my website and she was looking at my work for a different book that they were thinking about hiring me for. And they saw this and then she said she wanted to publish this. So she called me and wow. asked me, interested in making this a book. And I was like beside myself. It's like, um, hell yes, I am. It's crazy. It's a dream. Country. The whole process was really a dream. And this was the first time that I really had been able to work with a team and as an illustrator and an author thinking about what is the entire package of this book look like? We added a lot of content to it, which was great and exciting for me that they wanted that they liked it, that they wanted to add more content. For instance, the Halloween page and the dancing. And then when she's giving him a bath, all of that was added. That was, wasn't in the original. So we kind of extended those and we really played off of the resource factor of the book. We did add a table of contents and a bibliography and we ended up taking those out, but we wanted to make it feel like an actual manual, as ridiculous as it is. It was maybe a year process, nine months editing and going back. I redid all the illustrations completely and added the color. It's limited color, but thinking about the end pages and what was the paper stock and there's a separate bookcase from the dust jacket. The packaging and the presentation is something that I love. It was a fascinating process. And I'm always peeking at what's underneath the book jackets. I just lifted off the jacket. The jacket's already so eye-catching and so beautiful. I also love what's underneath the jacket. This is so freaking cute. This looks so classic. Thanks. I wanted to go for like an old linen yes. creepy book. I'd use just color pencil to do a crosshatch and make it look like it was a real book. I mean, that's the fun part of the book anyway, is that it's not real, but it feels it. I wanted to make the bookcase feel like a little secret, like a little old real secret. I love this secret. And now the secret's out. This also looks good on its own as a coffee table too. I especially love that there's no title on the actual book book <laughs> underneath the jacket. So it's nope. even more mysterious. It's really so well done and so nicely packaged. I love those too. I did not think of those and those are what happens in a team. So the editor, Jessica, who was working on it also she came up with those and organized the cover and stuff. That's one of my favorite parts about the process is working with a team. Generally, I'm on my own. I do have an agent who I love, but like in the creative process, I'm on my own and I work back and forth with art directors a lot if I'm illustrating for somebody else. But this book, because I wrote it too, it was just such an involved conversation going back and forth on what was really the best for the book. And I think I really had a lot of trust in them and they had a lot of trust in me. We were on the same wavelength the whole time. I loved their ideas. Little details like that come out and I feel strange that my name's all over it, but I'm like, oh, you know, it was Jessica who did that. And it was this person who suggested that. That sounds amazing. And you are so sweet. You're so, it's really cool that you're always wanting to give credit where credit is due. Before I go deeper into details about the process of it, I also have to say, I really love the little illustration of the marshmallow. Let's be real. How were you growing up? Do you believe in paranormal activity? I'm not brave and I'm scared of everything, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm scared of everything that is in reality. Right. right. They really happen. I don't believe in ghosts. I was definitely a scared child and I lost many nights of sleep because I was terrified Chucky was going to come out of my oh closet. My I knew that I saw little fingers just creeping uh, around. Ah, hat girl. No, no, no. I don't want that image. No, thank you. <laughs> make myself sick I would overplay things in my mind and get too scared so I was definitely a scared child and I am still a scared adult even though I don't really believe in paranormal stuff my basement is terrifying and I don't like to go down there by myself I'm afraid of a lot of things 
they don't generally feel very brave. But I don't believe in ghosts. I think I want to. I'm a, a realist, but I'm an idealist at the same time. I love to believe in magic. And I know there are things that we can't explain. And maybe they'll probably be explained someday. But I love the mystery of life. I'm not a, a staunch realist where I don't believe that things are incredible or mysterious. But I don't believe in paranormal stuff. And so maybe that's why it's easy for me to create this character who, to me, it was never about taking something that was scary and putting it into a context to make it digestible. I think that the feedback that I've gotten is that's what it does for a lot of kids. Some parents have said, my child was really afraid of ghosts and I read this to them and they feel a lot better about it. And now they want to have ghost friends. And when they see ghost decorations, they want to be friends with them. And I think that's really sweet for me. It wasn't something that I consciously thought. I want to take something that's scary and make it cute. Generally, my work, it's always like a little eerie and it's always a little cute, too. It's sort of like a running theme in my work. It's never, like, too cute. Like, there's always a little dark side, but then it's never like, totally macabre. Still sweet, I guess. Absolutely, it is still sweet. It's shocking to me because I thought that maybe there was a little part where you did create the ghost character to kind of ease the kids from being scared. And I had no idea. It actually had nothing to do with that. It's funny, again, like how you said that parents come to you saying, hey, you really made my kid feel better and they see ghost things and they want to make friends with them or decorations. I'll tell you again, you make me as a 30 year old woman want to come to you and be like, thank you so much because now I feel braver going down the basement. I'm not even joking. I read it. I'm like, wow, what an interesting take. I was wondering to myself, I wonder if Becca did this on purpose so that children are not afraid. But it's so interesting that that wasn't your intention. But look at all that goodness that came out of it anyway. It's really heartwarming to hear. And something else that I just thought of, I don't know why this came out while you were talking about explaining that, I started thinking about descriptions and how your ghost is absolutely not the typical ghost description that I hear about. What I hear about from family members who've seen paranormal things and all that (laughs) stuff. I wish they look cute like that, but that's not (laughs) what I hear. That reminded me of the page where you had that diagram of how to recognize a ghost. And I busted out laughing. You know, the bottom of the ghost, it's like, so it can move faster or something. (laughs) It was so cute. I was dying. And then there's no fingers, but it's like rounded. And if it's healthy, it it has pink cheeks. It blushes. I'd love to also go into your artistic process. And I noticed it's color pencil, you were saying, right? And a little bit of gouache. It's a paint, but yeah, mostly color pencil. Oh, cool. I never heard of that. Gouache. If watercolor and acrylic had a baby, a chalky baby. Oh, that's (laughs) interesting. The like yellow gold color and cheeks. And then if it's like a really dark black, the branches in the trees, those are all gouache paint. The bat would be, it looks like color pencil. I think it's like the part one that you're looking at the bat. I have yes. it over here too. Yeah. So that is all colored pencil. There isn't any paint in that. Okay. Gotcha. And what about Bellis's hair? Because her hair is also black. Is there a mixture of gouache and color pencil? You can mix them. And I do mix them a lot. I didn't really do a lot of mixing here, but mostly in my other work, I mix them all the time. So her hair is colored pencil. I mean, I can tell maybe because I did it, but now that I'm looking at it, it would even be hard to tell. So if you look at the page, that's part one, it says do's and don'ts, and she's like running from his ass. That's so funny. That's the exact page I have open right now. Okay. Oh, ooh, that's paranormal. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the branches... If they look like a little watery kind of like ink and they're really opaque, that's paint. Her hair is colored pencil and it's like a waxier colored pencil. It's really opaque. You can't really see it here, but if you turn the page and find one with her pants. Yes, I see it. Yeah, see how there's a lot of marked pencil texture yes. in there? So that is a different style of colored pencil called a very thin, where your lead is a lot harder. So it's not waxy and it doesn't fill in all the areas. It leaves those marks. All of the illustrations are kind of a mixture of those colored pencils and a little bit of gouache, sort of like working to make just different marks everywhere. I haven't always used them, but I just love how many different marks you can make. And once I started taking them seriously, I I just love them. I love colored pencils as well. We're just rebranding our podcast right now. I really wanted something to represent what it's become. And we're also going to be doing a lot of merch and swag. So I've been looking through different techniques and how to collaborate with designers and my grandpa and my sister, they're artists. I was telling them because my grandpa, he's dubbed as the king of watercolor in Malaysia. 
I love watercolor, but I feel like what I started to see, I think especially the last few years, colored pencils has really made a comeback. I don't want to call it a trend because it's not. It's definitely like a classic thing. I do see a lot now in bloggers' websites or their logos, Mm -hmm. but I really do love the look and I love the texture that it gives off. Like, you remember how you were saying the book underneath the flap jacket where it gives off that feeling of this almost antique looking book and it was mm-hmm. just all from color sketches from the color pencils mm-hmm. yep. that's what I love about it and you say you use cross hatching that was a technique yeah for the front how long was this process from the book like because I know you said you had several already done because that's what you sold like you had sold about like 100 copies you said or 150 copies in the beginning yep. before Tundra approached you right so yep. before Tundra approached you how long was that process for what you sold online? I was doing it really fast because I wanted to get it out in time for October. So I think that whole process might have been three weeks. What, girl? Are you serious? That's so fast. I just was so excited. I couldn't stop working on it. Those projects are few and far between. And I think when you have that fire, you have to use it. I was just jazzed about the whole thing. And I wanted to get it out. I wanted to sell them and have it up on my website before mid-October. And that's my favorite time of year. So I just worked really hard on it and dug into it. I should have put one of the little originals in the back flap so people could have seen it. But they're really a lot more simple. They're basically one color and there's like a little bit of rosiness in the cheeks of the characters. But those are just not really filled in. They're just colored pencil. I should have put one of the originals on the back flap. If you go down my Instagram for like last year, you can see all of those originals. I mean, they're totally different. Those I felt like I did pretty fast. And then these ones were a lot more in-depth with different values, different colors. And these are definitely a lot more involved. I'm so impressed. Okay, now how long did it take you for when after Tundra approached you for the new pages? I'm trying to think about this and how long it actually took. I finished them in October, November of last year. And I think I'd started on the finals maybe like May. It's just such a like haze because it was such a big process. Yes, that's true. You know, I had to do all of the sketches again and then add content. And then seriously, it took so long to, I mean, for me, because this was new to me, it just took so long to organize the book. Mm -hmm. What was the best way to lay it out? So that process feels like it took forever. So I'm not actually sure when I started just doing the final artwork for it. But I would say it was like six months. I was doing two other picture books at the time and planning a wedding. It was crazy. Wait, you were planning a wedding too? Yeah. Are you crazy? Oh my gosh, how? A simple wedding. It wasn't like this big, grandiose, like huge thing. Oh no, it does not matter. A wedding is still a wedding, please. It was so much work. And I had a solo show. (gasps) It was stupid. I was like, yeah. (laughs) That Yeah, I'll do that. I think that's why I haven't had any aha moments of thinking about other projects. Fried. Oh, yeah. You need a little R&R right now. I agree. I think you need to be gifted a masseuse package just to go get a massage and a spa. My goodness. At least now you know what you're capable of. That's really impressive. Not many people can handle that with all that stuff on their plate. If it was me planning, I don't care how small or big the wedding is. I'm going to be like, leave me alone. I need to focus on this and this only and don't even bother putting anything else on my plate or I will get piss like yeah. not even kidding you're so amazing it was kind of insane and now I mean like I know what I'm capable of but also I know that I have to say no I need time to really focus on stuff because it does take a lot of time to make good creative work you know when I jumped into books like I said I really haven't been doing it for that long so when I jumped in I was like oh my god yeah I'll take it I'll take that I'll take you want me to do a picture book I'll do it for you I was so like eyed and excited and I mean, I still am. It's not like I've been doing it for that long. And I still, I love when I get approached for a project. But at first I was just like, yes, I'll take it. Now I just have to be very realistic about what can I get done in a certain amount of time and how much time do I need? That also brings me to wonder, it's interesting just formulating everything together and what I'm learning from you. So you have an agent, but then this project was directly approached to you with a publisher already, Tundra. Now knowing when to learn to say no, is there anything you would do differently now if you had that opportunity again? I think it's hard to say if I would have done anything differently, like looking back because what happened happened and I'm still alive and the book's out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it worked out as well as it could have. 
I loved that I jumped in because I didn't fail at any of those books, but it was hard keeping up with all of them. So now I just know that that's not a healthy way to make work. I don't know about every agent, but I know that my agent is extremely helpful in helping me to navigate what projects I want, what projects don't make sense for me, my timing. Her and I work really closely together. She's more of a mentor in that she helps me figure out how much time I need and what I'm capable of taking on. I don't know if that's common. I feel very thankful that I have that because I need that. I need to have those discussions with somebody else who knows the business better than I do. If somebody was to come to me and say, if I had this whatever idea and somebody came to me and said, we really want to make this a book. Well, now I know how much time that takes. So I'm not really ever going to do three picture books at the same time again. This is not possible. So that means I have to be really, really specific about what I want to take on. There have been a couple of books that have come my way in the last couple of months that we've had to turn down. And that's pretty new for me. But either the budget didn't really make sense for me to be spending that much time on it, even if you don't write it. I mean, even if you just illustrate it, it's an insane amount of work from the preliminary storyboards, to the sketches to the finals. And it's quite a project. So we've had to turn down a couple just that the timing wasn't right. So now I'm just like a lot more conscious of what is realistic for me to make good work, that I can do another project writing and illustrating my own book again, whether that's going to be a picture book or a slightly older book, or maybe for adults that love children's things, because that's sort of what I made this book for. I made this book for myself. Yeah. I didn't make this for children. So that's also been interesting. Now I'm a children's and middle grade illustrator and now a children's author. And that's something that's new for me too. I'm just sort of like navigating my identity and what is it that I want to be making. And I'm careful as to like what projects I take. My agent definitely helps me a lot. I I was without her. That's so awesome that you have her. Tapping back when you said that you made this book for yourself. I totally can see that because it resonated with me so much. And I'm at a point where I'm like, wow, these kids are having some great books nowadays. <laughs> this is awesome. I love it now, but no wonder. Cause you remember how I was saying this is like a perfect coffee table book for grownups. <laughs> if they were like having wine and cheese night, I would be like, check out that book. It's so cute. You have to read it. It just totally resonates. And I think that's so important, especially with art is when your work truly speaks to you and resonates with you. It's going to speak to so many people that will relate to you and your work. Okay, so the agent came after Tundra, was it? Yeah, sort of. Yours was kind of like a special circumstance because normally writers, authors, they usually have agents first who then cook you up with the publishers if they're interested. Her and I had a back and forth for the last, we've been together for almost two years and we had talked maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago, one of her artists connected us. And at the time we had a phone call and my art was not ready for the children's market. And she gave me some tips on how to do that because I wasn't ready. I sort of ended up jumping in to a different representation. I was agented by an editorial agent for two years. And that totally steered my work in a different direction. And I was really unhappy. I felt like my work was getting just very generic. Mm. I was illustrating articles about credit card debt. I mean, it's not inspiring. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to get out of this. So I quit that. And so I was not agented for a year. And right around the end of that year, Nicole and I, that's my agent, we Mm -hmm. had talked a little bit here and there about, you know, connecting and we just never really had. When Tundra contacted me about publishing this book, they sent me a contract and I was like, I just can't read a 10 page contract and really understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to Nicole again, and I had heard really good things about her from her artists, from some of them that I know. And so I reached out to her again, and I basically said, I want you to represent me, and I have a book deal, and I want you to take it. And if you don't want to represent me, then I will leave you alone, and I won't bother you again. The next day, we had a really great conversation, and she decided to take me on. And it's been awesome ever since. We've been busy ever since. And she's just really, really wonderful. She basically came in right at the beginning of the contract phase for this book, and then was there when other books came our way so that she could handle all those contracts, because I just can't. It's overwhelming. Absolutely. I know we talked about earlier where it's good to have that entrepreneurial, not only knowledge, but spirit as well. I think to do and create your best work, it's really helpful to have someone that can focus mostly on the business side so that you can really not worry about that burden and just focus on what you do best. I'm just speaking from observing my grandpa throughout all the years too. I'm just like, oh man, I wish he had some brilliant business person in his team because he was a brilliant artist, but then 
you know, if you don't have any business sense, whether it's you or someone in your team, it's difficult. When you did say that there's all these books that are approaching you, is that picture books? This is what I'm only assuming. Yeah, picture books. And I do middle grade too. So like older chapter books where I'll do black and white interiors. When it comes to your own book, let's say that you, the next one you want to do after you have some R&R and when you're ready to get back into doing your own, because it's a lot to do because you have to worry about text on top of illustrations. We have one of the listener questions, Kristen Britt in our group. She was wondering, how do you approach sketching out your stories in your book? And what's your process for story creation? With this ghost book specifically, that first rough that I did and printed and posted, my editor called that a dummy book, which would be a a sample book of what it would be. Now, I never saw it as a dummy book because I never saw it as a first step. That was the only thing that I was going to make. It ended up being a dummy book as like a test book because I ended up making a picture book out of it. So if I was to do the process again and go in and do specifically a picture book, I would make a dummy book, which basically you would put together a folded or stapled paper of all the sketches. I mean, it would be a test of your picture book and it would have your text on it, have all of your images on it. And then generally you would do like one or two final pieces of art for the book so that the editor could see what the final illustration is going to look like in color and how it's going to be executed. So that is what I will end up giving when I do another picture book. If I do a longer book, which I'm trying to work on, but even though it's really daunting, I don't know how those are pitched. So I'm going to have to learn about that. But as far as picture books go, yeah, I mean, I think the process is that you make a a dummy book if you're writing and illustrating it like I would be. It's like a test book that you would give to the editor. Even your test book, the dummy book, sounds pretty close to perfection. And again, I think it's just also personality too. Like my personality would be if I sketch it precisely in how I want it to be and then present it in this book. But let's say the editors, no, we got to hack this, hack that, change this. I would be like, what? Hell no. You know how long it took me to sketch that? I mean, I do think that the sketches though can be pretty loose. I think that's why you have the handful of finals so that you can say, this is what my actual art looks like. And I mean, they might change those and that might suck, but it's such a long process. It all kind of gets buried in any way. I think at the end, The actual dummy book, I don't think it has to be super tight lines. This is a sketch. This is like, basically, I'm just going to take these lines and fill in color and I'll have these finals. I don't think it should be that tight. I think you'd be wasting your time because chances are the editor is going to say, we're going to have to scrap this, redo this, change this. You can't give them something that you're so connected to that, you know, you've put so much time into your sketches that you can't change them. So I do think that they can be loose. Okay, gotcha. That's helpful. I think it's different too if you're going to illustrate and write your own versus doing somebody else's. When I did mine, I had a rough, which was the dummy book, which was basically the first round. And then because we changed it, I had to add content, but I didn't really go in and change my original sketches from the first one. And then my second round, third round, whatever, was doing the finals. But when you illustrate for somebody else's book, that's when I think you have more rounds. For me anyway, in my experience, I finished a picture book that comes out in the spring and I did four rounds. So it was very, very loose lines of the layout. And then there was a second round, which was your storyboard. And then there was a third round, which was the linears, which means your final lines before color. And then your fourth round, which was your final art. That is up to me. I mean, that can even be more work. Back to how to make friends with a ghost. What was your most difficult process that you faced when you made this book? It was definitely the editing and the organization and the sketching. That I don't don't enjoy that. For any process, the sketching is really not fun for me. I love to just like jump into something. It was taxing at times. I don't want to be done with it. I just want to jump into the finals and Mm -hmm. dig into the good stuff and make the details and get out my colored pencils. It was a lot of back and forth, which I'm was necessary, but I know it was a lot of back and forth on organization and we need to add this. So I'd have to like do the sketch and then change it. And we changed the cover a couple of times. That's not anything on the publisher's part. It's just part of the process, mm-hmm. but it's just one that I struggle with staying inspired through that. Yeah. Organization. This is how it needs to be done. And I'm like, well, I just want to draw Bellis. <laughs> yeah. And I know really go into it. This is so similar to novel writers who have writer's block. There's those brain farts or create walls that are there. So I'm sure that happens a lot with sketching when you have to throw out all these different options. So what did you do for yourself to get you constantly motivated and inspired? I was telling this 
to somebody the other day that when you sit down to make something, and if my goal is to just get it done versus really work through that process and focus on making that piece awesome, Mm -hmm. there's two different end goals. If it's the former, if it's just, I just have to get this done. I mean, nothing ever turns out good. So I leave, I leave my studio, I come home, I cook, I'll go to a bookstore and dig through books or I'll go for a walk, I'll come home and go to bed. I work the best in the morning. So if I'm like ever having a really hard time with something, I like to go into my studio really, really early, 6.30 or 7, start some coffee and then just have it be quiet and then just sit down and work. And that is when like all the magic happens, I think. Wow. If it's like three in the afternoon and I'm like banging my head against the wall, it's really just a waste of time for me. So I'll I'll do other stuff. That's really impressive. Like you said, you figured yourself out enough to know when to stop. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest hurdles for artists is what's that saying? When you keep doing the same thing over again, it'll drive you insane. So one of the biggest hurdles for artists is there's a lot of ego and stubbornness that happens for one, I would be one of those people like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. Let me, let me just try it again. And it's like, then nothing comes out of it. It's like, what the yeah. hell did I waste the last hour doing? I think it's more difficult to find out when is your threshold and to walk away and then start fresh the next day or do something different and shake up your routine to get back to that creative flow again. Damn, yeah. good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm taking that tip from you, by the way. I'm going to make sure to record or just make notes when I realize once that dead spot throughout the day. And avoid that and do something else, whether that means squeezing my workouts during that time. So at least I could feel productive in a different way. Yeah, that's important too, to feel productive in a different way. Because like, if I just go home and I mean, sleeping sometimes is productive in its own way, but I do try to be productive in a way for me that serves me. I'm not like super good at relaxing because I do like to do things. I'm happy that you're going to go for that too. <laughs> the truth is sometimes you have a deadline too. Yeah. And you're like, I can't go home right now. I can't go to a bookstore and work because of this sketch or this final is due tomorrow at 10 because my art director has a meeting. And sometimes you just have to push through it. And that might mean like a 10 minute break outside during mm-hmm. and then you come back in. But it, anything to like walk away from it for any short amount of time and come back. Thank you, Becca. That was gold right there. <laughs> Knowledge bombs left and right. Thank you. Can you describe your studio for me? Because I just love hearing studios for any artist. I run a studio with another girl, Kayla, and we opened it up two years ago. It's a co-working space. <gasps> Fun. We don't run it as a business. Business, we don't make money from it. We basically just like wanted a room for illustrators to come and work together <gasps> to like be out of their houses. It's changed over the last couple of years, but right now we have four full-time members, which basically means that they have a desk. I have a desk space and that's set up like in a corner. I have a big drawing table where I work at. And then we have a really big community table in the middle and we have five community people. That means that they don't really keep their materials there. They just come in and work. And it's been awesome. It's shifted a lot, but I feel like it's finally settling in. I started that like shortly after I moved to Nashville. I've lived here two and a half years. They didn't really know anybody. So starting that was just starting a workspace, but also a community of friends and We've got people that do licensing and picture books and design and they run a couple of different industries. One of them is a children's musicians. It's awesome to be around those people and get feedback and bounce ideas oh, off. I love that you created that space for your community. My girlfriend and I used to live in downtown LA. We were in her downtown studio. It was a massive studio. Dudes loved it. When we had guy friends coming over, they're like, dude, this is like the best bachelor pad ever. And we're like, what? <laughs> like we seem like an artist space, but okay, we know yeah. where your head is. So my best friend and I made 11 foot long table. It was supposed to be 10 feet, but we kind of overshot the, the count. So my bad. So it was about like a, almost like 10 and a half, 11 feet long wooden table. So my girlfriend and I went to the lumber yard, picked up the wood, and then I brought it back so that my best friend and I could make it as well while my girlfriend was working. So we had this massive table. We're like, man, it feels kind of lonely in here, you know? And then so she's in the food industry. So she helps to start and run businesses, restaurants and bars and stuff like that. She always wanted to bring people together in the creative fields, but also business oriented people and have these mastermind groups. And then I always wanted a space for storytellers to just come together, Mm -hmm. whether you're an illustrator or you are a writer or an actor doing your work, studying your lines, whatever it is to come Mm -hmm. together in the space. And I heard this popular term from this podcast, like two years ago, they started calling it co-working, like 
I was like, oh, we call it ho. It meant home working, home working with coworkers. So it's ho workers and ho working. And I was like, I'm into this ho working. So what happened was my girlfriend wanted to set up this whole thing. She ended up getting super busy with work. But then me working on the podcast at home, I would have friends that would come over who were actors, but working on writing on their own novels. And then they would bring their dogs in too. And I'm like, yes, I have new friends, furry friends. <laughs> I love that you have that in your space. And when you said you're running your space with your friend, does that mean that you girls own it or you rented it and then managing the space? We don't own it. We just leased it out and we leased it out for a year and then we signed another year lease. It's in a cluster of buildings of small businesses, which is cool. There's like a little coffee shop and downstairs there's a vintage shop. And there's like a bunch of different shops around there. There was a little bookshop, gift horse is like a little gift shop down there. It's in a new building and it's just like 600 square feet. It's like the upstairs. Wow. So it's not on the street. It's not a retail space where anybody can just walk in, but it's just an office space. It's just like one big open room. Her and I, we just rented it and we found a couple of people that wanted to join in. Aside from you and your friend running it, because you guys are the ones leasing it, everybody else coming in, are they chipping in to help with the rent? If you have a desk space, it's a certain amount. And Kayla and I pay the same amount as everybody else that has a permanent desk space. So we don't run it to make money. We don't have people in so we can have a space for free. Everybody is pretty equal because... By managing it, we make sure the bills are paid and we clean the bathroom. Mm. We share that with another business. We did a lot more stuff when we first opened. We do have workshops in there so people can rent out the space. And I did a workshop in there. We have movie nights. We have monthly drawing nights. We just had one last night where anybody in the community can come in and we base it on a theme. We've had gallery shows. So it's kind of a multi purpose space. And then the community members going back to payment, they pay just a lower fee to have something there. So everybody pays a monthly fees that keeps our bills just paid. So we don't make money really as a space, not a business in that way. Maybe we don't have a receptionist. I imagine my grandpa's studio when his buddies are there, you just walk in and do your work. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's just kind of like on their own, but it's such a small space that we're in the same room. So we have conversations and we can give feedback really easily. And that's one of the reasons too, when you have a lot of people in there, sometimes it's really hard for me to focus. I get they're really early, earlier than other people so that I can have that quiet time by myself. Oh, smart. That's important to have quiet time, but mm-hmm. I trip from home. It's so lonely. I get that. That's why I like working at coffee shops sometimes. Even mm-hmm. if I don't know anybody there, knowing that there are people around me, I feel more productive when I'm less alone. Yeah. When you like put clothes on, you put shoes on, you yeah. like walk When we lived in Denver before this and I worked from oh. home and I, like, I felt like I was losing it. That's kind of like me sometimes. But you know, the reason why I also was bringing up the space and if people were chipping in, because I do know how hard it is for artists to earn money or to sometimes pay rent. You know, that's something that I've had multiple discussions over and over with my actor friends to writer friends and a lot of our community. They are very curious about how they can make money while also working on their craft. And if that means writing or illustrating, I love that you mentioned workshops because my girlfriend and I are our ideal idea is to also run workshops so that there's a space for people to teach what they love if and when she goes through with her cafe idea to use that space for an artist's community but also for you yourself that I love that you do workshops I know it's not something that's really lucrative unless you really push for it but it's a little something to help with rent I love teaching them I don't do that many of them but also like really good for our space to have them because it brings new people in and we don't make a ton of money from it but if we have one a month we might make a couple hundred extra just to like go towards coffee filters or or like toilet paper you know when you got to refill the toilet paper because girl you know toilet paper is getting expensive especially if it's a nice three-layered one <laughs> prices with toilet paper <laughs> those things do add up and like if we manage the space we have to buy those things yes so if they do help out and then teaching them also I think it's just a different process you know I haven't taught that much but when I do this sounds cheesy but I always learn something about myself too. And I realized that, you know, I might not know as much as I think I do about something, but Mm. I also might know more than I think I do about Mm -hmm. maybe a specific material and I can find new ways to teach it. And I do like teaching them. I wish I had more time to do workshops and teach. Yeah. I don't. I'm actually going, what's today? So I'm going Tuesday to Mississippi State University in in Starkville and I'm going to do a presentation and teach. Congratulations. Have so much fun. That's really awesome. I like doing them here and there out of my studio. So that'll be fun. I'll get to travel a little bit. I'm so excited for you. 
I do want to jump back a little bit. When you were talking about before Tundra approached you, you were selling the zines, like about 100 to 150 copies. Was that a way for you to earn money for your illustrations to help cover some costs? Or was it just for fun? Yeah, it was just for fun. It was not a money-making project. I didn't make that much because I, I had to print all of those. I ordered them online. So they were perfect bound little books. So they weren't just cheap copies. Oh, so that was expensive. Yeah, so what I did was I did a pre-order campaign and I had 125 maybe that I sold as like a pre-order on my website and sold those and was able to just have that money, took that money, got the books made and then shipped them all out. I don't even know if I made any money, but Mm -hmm. it ended up coming around full circle, obviously, because I turned it into an actual book. But at the time, I don't think anybody makes that sort of stuff as a moneymaker. Right. Okay. I mean, I didn't have the money to just print them all and just hope they sold. I was lucky that when I put them up for pre-order, they sold and I was able to use that money to print them. Wow. That is so smart. What were you doing for actual moneymaking as an illustrator? So before I had the agent, I was working on other illustration projects and books that summer before I had been contacted by Tundra. i finished a book for a publisher in Brazil. They did a re-edition of The Little Princess. I was working on that book. And then I had a gallery show. And I feel like I always have stuff going on. So there has never been a moment in the last like seven years where I've had just dry weeks of nowhere, either working on a show and making paintings for something or working on other books. I work with Flow Magazine a lot from the Netherlands. At that time, I was doing a lot more stuff for them. So not editorial in like a newspaper sense, but magazine stuff, illustrations here and there for different clients. So I was still doing client work. I'm so happy for you. Thank you for sharing your whole life story, by the way. I so appreciate you, seriously, and I love talking with you. Thank you. I'm so thrilled that you wanted to chat. And that wraps up our episode with Rebecca Green. Rebecca, it was so nice to have you on the show, and I really loved our conversation. Listeners, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please say hi to Rebecca on Instagram and follow her there to check out her latest gorgeous illustrations at Rebecca Green Illustration. For the books and resources mentioned in her episode, head over to 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash Rebecca dash green. If you enjoyed today's episode or if it helped you in any way, I would love to ask you for your support in taking a moment to subscribe to 88 Cups of Tea on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Producing a podcast takes a lot of time and we put a lot of heart and soul into making 88 Cups of Tea the best that it can be. When you take those specific actions of subscribing, leaving a rating and a review, that really helps our show become more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before. And we're really trying to get the word out about our podcast. Thank you so much in advance for helping us grow our community. Don't forget to join our private Facebook group if you want to hang out with fellow writers and listeners from 88 Cups of Tea. I am so excited to see you in there. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 Cups of Tea. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.